Well, good morning. Our uh, scripture reading for this morning is uh, from Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of God for us. It was in July of last year that the world was gripped with the stunning photos that came from the James Webb Space Telescope. Did you guys see these? I brought a few of them with us this morning. There are approximately a trillion galaxies, and each of these encompassing an average of 100 to 200 billion stars. So the images that the James Webb photo or telescope brought us were a breakthrough in space photography. Um, the one that I brought this morning is... It's a landscape of what looks like mountains and valleys, speckled with glittering stars. It's actually the edge of a nearby young star-forming region called NGC 3324. <laughs> for the space nerds, it's in the Carina Nebula, and it reveals for the first time previously invisible or unseen areas. So these had not been seen before. These are called, so there's a, a, another photo, it's actually the same area, but these are called the Cosmic Cliffs. They have this almost three-dimensional look, kind of like, you know, craggy mountains on a moonlit evening. In the reality, it is the edge of a uh, giant gaseous cavity. <laughs> um, the, the tallest peaks, I should say, are about seven light years high. It's breathtaking. The steam that appears to rise from these celestial mountains is actually hot ionized gas. It's hot dust that's streaming away from the nebula due to the relentless radiation. So NGC 3324 was first cataloged. We knew it was there. It was first cataloged by James Dunlop in 1826. And these are the most recent images that we've got to see it more clearly. It's... it's um, something that's seen in the southern hemisphere. And again, it's in the constellation Carina. Breathtaking. And there's so much more. These, are, these images are all available on NASA's website, by the way. Um, you probably, it was all over headlines last summer, but it's worth another trip there just to read about them and to see the breathtaking images. And the reason that I bring it this morning is because all of these things then draw us into worship, the God who created it all. It draws us into worship God for his wonderful work, for his creative genius. And it leaves you with this strong and enduring impression that God is beyond and behind his creation. And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here this morning. It is an honor to worship together. My name is John. I serve as lead pastor at MCA, and I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So this morning, we are starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Genesis. That's right, Genesis. <laughs> we are going through 
Genesis. That's our goal for this year. Well, let me just clarify. We are going to do it in sections. So we're not going to go straight through all the way through the entire book of Genesis. But for the next month, we're going to tackle really what we're calling part one, which is Genesis chapters 1 through 11. uh, it's, It's a section that tells us about God and his relationship with uh, the entire world, basically, in, in creation, Genesis 1 through 11. And then we'll tackle the other sections probably in a, in a few different chunks as well, but Genesis chapters 12 through 50 through the end of the book really describe in great detail the stories of God's unique and specific relationship to Abraham and his descendants. And so what we'll see is really four major events in these first 11 chapters, Creation, original sin, the flood, and then the nations uh, following or coming out of the Tower of Babel. And as I said, then the final chapters in Genesis talk about the history of Abraham. Well, really, we could say four main patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, I do want to say this, that I want to challenge each and every one of us to read through the book of Genesis this year. Uh, You don't have to undertake it this week necessarily, not even necessarily this month, uh, although it would be good for us to read through chapters 1 through 11 this month. But I want to set that as a goal or challenge for us this year to read through the entire book of Genesis because our goal is to preach through the entire book. Um, You can even watch it, by the way. You can watch your fellow uh, MCA attenders reading through uh, the book. I think it was uh, was Rocky and Stacy's family. Weren't you guys the one that just kicked us off? Uh, last summer when we did the Binge Read the Bible event. So those videos are available on YouTube. So you can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch your uh, fellow MCA attenders reading through Genesis in its entirety. So that might be a fun way to experience it as well. Today, we're going to cover chapters 1 and 2. Well, Lord willing, we'll cover 1 and 2. Um, It's the true story of God creating and bringing order and function into the earth. And so we want to begin with, there is one true God, and he is the author of all creation, that he speaks and brings about beauty. He brings it out of really dark, watery chaos, and he creates the sun and moon and stars and sea and sky and fish and birds and creatures of the land, and he creates this magnificent garden, and he creates humanity. He creates people. He creates Adam and Eve made in his image. And really, throughout the entirety of the book of Genesis, we see God's unfolding plan. And it's a plan of redemption. It's a plan to restore creation and humankind really back to his original purposes through God's grace. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter (laughs) 1. It's like, where do I find that? It's page 1, okay? Page 1. We're introduced to the main character of the scriptures, which is God. So we'll jump right in. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to be introduced to God. Now, when it says in the beginning, by the way, it doesn't mean the beginning of everything, because after all, God already existed. So it's not the beginning of God. It's the beginning of everything else. God existed before everything else. God has no beginning. God has no end. God is eternal and infinite. For God to be present at the beginning, that means he existed before the beginning. He existed before time. 
which means God is outside of time. God's not bound by time like we are. In fact, we see in Psalm 90 and verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has always been. God will always be. God made time. And yet God is before time because God is timeless. Uh, Once I read about the the great St. Augustine and he was asked, what was God doing before he created the world? This this theological giant, St. Augustine, he was posed this question. Hmm, what was God doing before he created the world? He thought for a moment and then he replied, I think he was creating hell for people who ask questions like that. (laughs) So, what can we learn? Well, there's a, lot, there's a lot that we can learn, but what can we learn as we study the creation account, the true story of God creating all things in Genesis 1 and 2? Let's begin with the fact that God is the all-powerful creator. It's a story about God, and one of the truths that it reveals is that he is all-powerful and that he is the creator. Like, no one else is able to simply speak something into existence. No one else is able to do this. Only God. God spoke, and it was so. He created the world with his word. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. God is all-powerful. There's nothing God cannot do. He has no limits. He has no restrictions. God creates from nothing. He speaks it into existence. Why? Because he has all power. God merely speaks and everything comes into existence. It reminds me of the story I heard about uh, the scientists who got together and they wanted to challenge God because they said they no longer needed him. So they said, why don't we have a man-making contest? They said, well, we know how to clone people. So we, we know all about DNA and cells and the elements. We can create life. So God was listening patiently to all of this, and he says, very well, I agree. We'll have a man-making contest. We'll do it just like I did back in the beginning, just like I did with Adam. All right, the scientists say. Oh, and one more thing, God says, you've got to supply your own materials. Like, get your own dirt. God alone is all-powerful. God alone is the creator who speaks life, who speaks things into existence. So let's go on to verse 2. We're in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God is not some detached deity who like flung things into existence from a distance. He's not just a cosmic force. He was personally involved, actively, intimately involved as he took what was formless and empty and he filled it. And so we see here the reference to the spirit. In, in, in the Hebrew, it is literally the breath or, or wind. And so we see here the idea that the spirit of God The breath of God or the wind of God, it's hovering. And it creates this sense of expectation, right? When something is hovering, that's not the end of the story, right? That creates suspense. 
Like, what's going to happen now? So it, crea- it creates this suspense in, in, in expectation and anticipation for some action. Something's going to come about. The Spirit of God is, is hovering. In the darkness, there is movement, and it's God. It's God by his spirit, kind of hovering, roving, going back and forth, watching, waiting for God to create. One interesting thing, as we're talking about Genesis 1-1 and the word created, it appears in the simple completed form. God created, he did it, he completed it. In verse 2, we see hovering. It's another verb, right, of what God was doing. But it's in the intensive form. It means the spirit was moving continually. It wasn't completed. It was ongoing. It was perpetual. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described as a dove hovering over and above and on Jesus after his baptism. This hovering, it really is a beautiful word. I wish we could go even even deeper there. Um, it's this sense of fluttering. It's, uh, it's used in Deuteronomy 32, 11 to describe how a mother eagle cares for her little chicks as she broods over them. She's providing care and protection. It's really a beautiful word. And it's what the scriptures say the Spirit of God was doing. Watching, moving, caring, in expectation and anticipation for all that God would do. So I do want to consider why verse 2 here about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters is so important. Because I think it's really important for us to embrace and understand rightly the biblical truth that God is personally present. Even in the dark places. Even in the places that are filled with chaos and disorder. In fact, that's the second point this morning. What can we learn from the creation account? The first is that God is the all-powerful creator. The second is that God is king over chaos. That it's only God who can align perfectly those uh, planets and stars. That it's, it's only God who can design and implement what we see in the animal kingdom. Order, phylum, family, genus, species. Like God came up with that. God designed that. And so in our own lives, When we're facing the unknown, we need to know God is there. In our chaos, in the darkness, God is there. He is king over it. He is, as we see in Genesis 1 and verse 2, by his spirit, hovering. It's this beautiful Hebrew word that's that's sort of fluttering and on watch and standing by and moving and caring and anticipating what is going to happen next. And so I just want to encourage us with this, that we can trust him even in the trying times, even in the difficult times, that God is king over the chaos. He didn't just stop after creation, by the way. God's active involvement in the life of humanity and in the created order didn't stop after he just spoke it into being. Now I'll just let it run on its own. No, that's not how it works. He has continued working. We see that. God created, yes, that's complete. God's spirit was hovering. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's perpetual. God continues to care for and oversee. He longs to fill the empty spaces and bring order into disorder. Humanity can just simply look at, like people who are unchurched, people who are unreached with the gospel, they can simply look at creation and go, you know, I think maybe there's an intelligent creator behind this. Romans 1 tells us that pretty clearly. Like, 
humanity is without excuse because you can tell just from looking. This is called the, this is called the general revelation. You can just tell by looking. I think there's something, maybe an intelligent designer and creator, maybe a good loving figure who, who set this all up. It's also stated in Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Not themselves. You know, it, it wasn't the heavens declare the glory of the stars and these unseen galaxies until summer of 2022 when the James Webb telescope showed us what they really look like. It's they declare the glory of God. They point us to their creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's like the, shy, the skies are shouting God's praises. They're proclaiming a holy and loving and intelligent God who created and who continues to sustain and watch over what he has created. Let me share a little bit about a space mission from the 60s. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've not, but it was Apollo 8. Now, Apollo 8 was the very first manned-by-humans spacecraft, space mission, to reach the moon. It was a complete and absolute breakthrough. It was the first mission that made it to the moon. Now, they didn't land on the moon, to be clear. They were simply traveling to... It paved the way for the moon landing that took place just about six months later. So, Apollo 8 circled the dark side of the moon. And they were headed home, and they saw views that no human had ever seen before. And in that majestic moment, they were struck with awe and wonder. In fact, this is extraordinary, but it was being shown on live television in December of 1968 in what was the most watched television broadcast of all time. And I brought a clip with me. Here's what they said. They didn't quote Einstein or Shakespeare or Darwin, right? They affirmed the truths of Genesis 1. They're, they're, apparently, there was a Gideon's Bible, King James Bible, on their, on their craft. And billions of people, I mean, this is, this is awesome, billions of people around the world heard, as they saw the amazing images coming from this revolutionary flight, heard the word of God echoing from outer space. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's king over the chaos. And he spoke the entire universe, all of the cosmos, into existence. Okay, we're ready for verse 3. We're in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> we're going to make a good time this morning. <laughs> and God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
God declared it, and it was done. Something really cool. I just, I, I just have to point this out as we're studying the first verses in the scripture. The creation account. And God is beginning here with, with light. But I see all three members of the Trinity right in the beginning in the first three verses of scripture. Actively involved in creation. So verse 1, in the beginning God, the Father... Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the Holy Spirit. And verse 3, we have both the Word of God, God spoke, and we also have light. Now, we know what John 1 says, because it echoes of Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that... That has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it Of course, we know john eight twelve, where jesus says very clearly. I am the light of the world Isn't that amazing? Verse 1 god the father verse 2 god the holy spirit verse 3 god the son jesus christ the word And the light of the world And I would also say it's not surprising that god's first creative act was to provide light because without light, there is no life. It's, that's, we need light. We need light in order to live. We need light, of, obviously, in order to see. Without light, there can't be any order. There was a three-year-old who was crying in his bedroom. He was frightened because of the dark. He was calling out. It was too dark. And he was calling out for his mother. Mommy, please talk to me. Please, Mommy, I want to hear you. I'm frightened. His mother called him. She's in the other room. She says, okay, yeah, but what good will that do? You know, it's, you can't see me. The little boy says, well, it doesn't matter, mommy. When you talk, it just gets light. Kind of that way with God. God institutes light. Now, critics, of course, come along and say, well, how could God create light? Because if you look chronologically at the creation account, God isn't creating the sun until day four. So what's going on here? How did God say, let there be light? But before he created the sun, that comes later. Well, I think the answer is very simple. I think the answer is understandable by small children. God is light. The scriptures tell us that. Now, Jesus obviously is it, there are references to him being the light of the world, as I previously mentioned. But John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5 says very clearly that God is light. So God doesn't need the sun for brightness. God is light. And I do want to talk about the, uh, and, and we need to do some, uh, some synopsizing here because we can't go verse by verse through the entire two chapters. But I, I want to point out that as you study the six days of creation, you really see two triads. So God, here's one way of, of putting it. God formed creation on days one, two, and three. He formed creation. And then God filled creation on days four, five, and six. So let me, let me break this down even further for us. So you can line up days one, two, and three, and they sort of match with days four, five, and six. It's this kind of symmetry, we would say. So like day one... God says, let there be light. It's on day four that God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. So he, he forms creation in the first triad, the first three days, and he fills creation 
in the second triad, the, the final three days, days four, five, and six. So on day two, God creates the sea and the sky. Well, that corresponds with day five, where we see God filling those things with the fish and the birds. And the same with days three and six, where God forms the earth. And then on day six, he fills it. He creates the creatures, the, the animals and humanity. So we won't walk through each and every verse of the creation account this morning. We don't have time for that. I implore you and encourage you to read through it. Um, but you do see common elements. You see kind of a repeated order that happens most often, which is uh, a, a rhythm of God said, let there be. And it was so. And God called it. And finally, God saw that it was good. And a concluding formula. And there was evening and there was morning on that certain day. There's order. There's function. When I, when I say God is king over the chaos, I mean God is the one who institutes and implements, who, who designed. He is the, the, the creative genius who comes up with this rhythm and, and these forms. There is an intentionality to God's unfolding plan right here in the first accounts of God's creative acts. We see it uh, in Isaiah 55, 11, by the way. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose, the Lord says, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God is the all-powerful creator. God is king over chaos. And finally, God has purpose for his creation. He has purpose. There's a reason, there's an intention, there's a point behind it. The Lord establishes the heavens and the earth. He institutes these rhythms of life, and it's all designed to give him glory. He set it all up in a way that points to him. As we said, read Romans chapter 1, you'll see that. And as God's creative finale... He creates humans. So we probably should talk about that, especially when it comes to the, the purpose behind God's creation, and that is to give him glory. And, and humanity is the crown jewel of God's creation. Like, like it is, you, you, humans are unique and special. They're created in God's image. So God personally forms a man and a woman from the dust of the ground, and God breathes life into them. We see that in chapter 2 and verse 7. He creates... Eve from the man's rib, from Adam's rib. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he created them. So humanity, people, are not a coincidence. They are not just evolved from some muck. They're not a cosmic accident. God made us. He designed us, and he did so with dignity, with value, with worth, with purpose. And so isn't it good news that each and every person is significant because we've been created by the hand of a good and loving Heavenly Father, an all-powerful creator, the one who is king over chaos. When he created, he did so with a purpose. Our purpose, then, is to walk in loving relationship with God our creator. Like, that's our purpose. 
It's to walk in loving relationship with the God who formed us. God's fingerprints are all over creation. God's fingerprints are all over humanity. Let me pose a question this morning. Where has he left his mark on your life? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Are you putting it on display for others to see? Where has God left his mark on your life? Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Just think about the amazing work God has done in creation. Our planet is perfectly designed to sustain human life. If we were closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were farther from it, we would freeze. God created all of this inexplicable beauty. All of these these impeccable, amazing, extraordinary systems and organisms. And he created all of it for his pleasure. He created all of it for a purpose. He created sharks and sparrows and eagles and eels and horses and canaries and piranhas and trout and squid, walruses. We could go on and on and on and on. The amazing display of God's created order. And he created you. And he created me. And he longs for us to respond to him in recognition that he is the creator. That he is all-powerful. And that he is king even over our chaos. You see, the grand main character in the, in the overarching story of scripture, not just in the first chapters of Genesis, not just in the book of Genesis, but all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, the main character is God. It's a story about God. Now, Genesis is really all about who God is and what he's done and how it all started. We're calling this series In the Beginning. It's in the, the creation account that we see so many truths about the person of God. We see God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. We see that He's all-powerful. That He alone can speak something into existence. That He is King. That He brings order. And that He has created with a purpose. That He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He wants his creation, this is very clear from reading the creation account, he wants us specifically to be fruitful. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He longs to see us flourishing and thriving, to see that which he has formed, giving honor and glory to him. God blesses us, by the way. We see God's blessing there in Genesis 1.28 and throughout the scriptures. He blesses us so that we will be a blessing to others. We'll see that when we get to Genesis 12 in the life of Abram, of course. He blesses us so that we would be a blessing to others. He wants us to be true image bearers that share the good news of Jesus. That there's a prince of peace. Even in our chaotic world, where we're filled with disappointments and struggles and and anger that just simmers beneath the surface, that there is a Prince of Peace. And when we offer him our lives, when we offer him control, he is with us. 
and we go back to like the beginning where we were at one with God. When we talk about Jesus atoning for our sins, by the way, you just break down the word atone, it's at one. That's what it means. It means you're restored back to that relationship. Not because you've been good enough, but because Jesus has made it possible. I do want you to know our prayer team is going to be available right here in the front as we conclude our service. If you have a prayer need, if you have a concern, we would love to minister to you today. Come alongside you, lift you up in prayer. Come and share your need. We'd love to serve you in that way. What good news we have. Yes, even in the book of Genesis, and we'll see in chapter 3, the first reference to the gospel, where we have enmity between our enemy and the offspring of the woman. Another reference to Jesus, that God, through it all, has had a good plan. And it's a plan of restoration. And he's unfolding that plan, even from the beginning. That Jesus willingly went to the cross so that we could be atoned for. Back in right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And the life with him begins now, and it lasts forever. Let's pray together. Oh, our good and gracious God, how thankful we are. And we stand in awe of your power, of your majesty, of the magnitude of what you can do, that you are indeed a great God. We thank you, Lord, for the beauty of creation. We thank you for those moments that were outdoors and we hear the birds chirping and the gentle breeze and we can breathe deeply. We can be at peace. We can recognize, God, you're behind all of this. We thank you that we have the specific knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we choose him as Lord and Savior and that we call out on you, O God, claiming the shed blood that flowed at Calvary, that our sins are washed away. And so, Lord, we thank you today for who you are and that you are continuing on to hover over, to carefully watch, to protect and to provide. We are so grateful, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our lives and in our midst. We long to continue walking with you in loving relationship. We would pray this morning for those who don't know you, oh God, for those who don't have a relationship with you, who are not atoned for, that we pray that they would hear the good news, that they would understand the truth of a loving creator, all-powerful God. And so, Lord, would you help us to be image bearers and truth sharers? Give us boldness to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world that so desperately needs it. That you would accomplish it for your glory and for your kingdom cause. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.